We're talking about the principle of trust today. And if you were to look at any... I'm looking for my money. I've got money in my pocket. Hold on. Okay, this is what I got. If you were to look at any currency minted or printed by the United States Treasury... you guys see that penny? Is it a little hard to see? Wait, hold on a second. Okay, hold on. Okay, can you see that penny? Okay, great. Okay. If you were to look at any currency printed or minted by the United States Treasury, you would find those four little words, those four little controversial words, in God we trust. Those words first appeared on our coins during the Civil War. Um, a preacher from Pennsylvania wrote to Salmon P. Chase, the Secretary of the Treasurer, and during those days when our nation was divided, he said, we need some way of reminding people that our trust is in God. And Salmon P. Chase um, agreed with him, and he wrote back and he said, the trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. And it was important in those years as a divided nation that we remember, in God we trust. It wasn't until 1956 that the phrase, in God we trust, was adopted as the motto of the United States. Now you consider that generation, consider that world, 1956. You consider what we were fighting in 1956 and where that motto comes from. We just finished up World War II, Korea was getting pretty hot, and Vietnam was, was just ahead of us. And who was our enemy? What were we fighting against in 1956? It was communism. The godless communists. We were in the midst of what we call the Cold War. So in that day, when we adopted that motto, what did those words mean? In God we trust. As opposed to the rest of the world, as opposed to those who were falling into communism, we proclaimed we trust in God and we will defend that lifestyle. We will defend that belief. But if it's only a motto, if it's just four words on our currency, does it really have any meaning? Does it really have any power? In God we trust cannot be just a motto. It has to be a way of life. It has to be a biblical principle that we can live by. And So we're looking at principles this month as we look through the book too much. We're looking at principles that we can live by, uh, principles that we can have in our lives that, that do something for us. We've looked at the principle of gratitude. We've looked at the principle of contentment. And it is essential that for us that these we have these principles to experience freedom in Christ. Freedom from worry. Uh, freedom from being enslaved by our possessions, by our debt. Free to follow Jesus and experience real profit. That's what we've been talking about. But if we're honest... Many of us have been and still are consumed with worry because we've not learned the principle of trust. So we're going to look today in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. John 6, 1 through 14. This must be an important story. This has to be a very important story because this is the only miracle that is found in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each tell this story. It's the story that we call the feeding of the 5,000. 
at the heart of this story, at the heart of this miracle, is the call to trust Jesus to provide. And it's something that we're still called to. It's something that we still struggle with. So I'm going to begin there in John chapter 4. Uh, excuse me, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. For some reason, I am in Mark. How did I get to Mark today? John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following Him because they saw the signs that He was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat down with His disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up His eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards Him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And He said this to test Him, for He Himself knew what He would do. And Philip answered Him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little bite. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, which, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, He told His disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that He had done, they said, this, in, this is indeed the prophet." who is to come into the world. Now it's easy for the centerpiece of that story to catch our eyes. I mean, feeding 5,000 people is pretty impressive with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. That's very impressive. But look around this event at what's happening to the people who are involved. And what do you see? The first thing you have to see as you look at the at the, at the story, at the, the surroundings of the story, is that these people who had gathered here, these people were struggling. Now, each gospel seems to fill in a few details of the overall story. Matthew and Mark both connect the story of the feeding of the 5,000 with the death of John the Baptist, that they had just received news that John had been beheaded by Herod. Now you realize, John was Jesus' predecessor. John is the one that went before Jesus. And many of those people who followed Jesus had first followed John, including many of the twelve. John was their hero. I mean, he was the hero of the little guy. He was the voice of the downtrodden. And his death hit them all. But it probably hit Jesus the hardest because John was also Jesus' cousin. And John was... Jesus' friend. John was the man who had baptized Jesus. John is the one who says, I'm going to go before Him and He's going to follow Me and I'm not worthy to untie His sandals and He must increase and I must decrease. So the death of John the Baptist probably hit Jesus harder than anyone. Matthew says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, when Matthew tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000, he says, now when Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard that John was dead, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. 
But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. I think I've felt what Jesus was feeling that day. Have you ever been there where you just needed to be alone? Have you ever had those moments? There's those times when you just need to be alone, and yet duty calls, people call, people show up, you know, ministry happens, uh, you get interrupted in those moments, and you're reminded that, that people need you. you know, I, I'm so thankful that, that you guys understand that sometimes Brett just needs his time, you know, and I do my best. I do my best to take Fridays off and just spend Friday as a day of re- resting and relaxing and having a little bit of fun and, you know, just doing, the, doing a few things just for me on Fridays. And some of you are really good. I mean, I, every now and then someone will stop me and say, How was your Friday? And it's like you're checking up on me, making sure I'm really taking some time for me. And I, I really appreciate that. Jesus needed a Friday here. But there's times when ministry calls. There's times when you don't get your Friday. And that's, that's okay. Because what Jesus saw was what I try to see that people are struggling. Luke fills in these details. In Luke chapter 9, verse 11, he says, They followed him, and he, Jesus, welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. You know, we, we see this just as the feeding of the 5,000, but those people were more than just hungry. Their, their world had been rocked. Their hero was dead. And they were lost. They were in a daze. You've been there, right? You're, you're, you're just numb. You don't know what to think. You don't know what to feel. All you know is that something bad has happened and your world has changed. And Jesus what? Jesus had compassion on them. There's a lesson for us there as a church. Jesus had compassion on them. You know, we encounter hungry people, but there's more than just physical hunger. There are people who are hurting, people who have been hurt. And it is true, sometimes hurting people hurt people. Have you heard that? Hurting people hurt people. And I try to remember that in the times that I get hurt. Sometimes hurting people hurt People. Jesus would have us recognize they are struggling. They are in need of compassion, and we are called to offer that. Now, we do have to get down to specifics, though. Because these people were more than just struggling. It is evident from the story that the people were starving. They were hungry. They were starving. How many of you, how many of you have had something to eat today already? Come on, show me your hands. Uncle Ronnie told me. He had a breakfast bowl today, so sounded pretty good. I had a slice of some kind of cake back there because, you know, cake for breakfast. That's what it's all about. Living the dream. You know, you've had something to eat today. You realize how rare that is in our world today and in the, in the biblical world, you know, in the, the times of Jesus. That was a very rare thing. And in Jesus' world and in much of the world today, people would have one meal a day. Just one meal. And that would be the evening meal and they would gather together as families and they would share that meal but these people had followed Jesus into this desolate place there's no food there's no place to buy food there's no place to get food and there's no money to get food if you could the people were starving but Jesus had a plan and what I love about his plan is it involved everyone not just the 12 disciples his plan involved everyone verse 8 
one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? I don't believe for a moment that Andrew had any idea what Jesus was going to do. I don't think Andrew had any idea what Jesus was going to do with this kid's happy meal. You know, he's just telling him, this is all we got. We got five loaves of bread. We got two fish. That's it. That's everything. But what I see is that if there's a need, it's going to take all of us working together to meet that need. There's a place for everyone. There's a place for everyone here. There's a place for everyone to serve. There is no reason for anyone to look at a church and look at what we do and say, there's nothing for me to do there. On the other side, that's where we all need to be very inclusive and make sure there is something for everyone to do. There was a problem. People were starving. Jesus had a plan. You're going to need to have a plan if you're going to build trust in God. You need a plan if you're going to build trust in God. You need a plan to get yourself there. You need a plan to get your friends there, your family there, to get everyone there. You need a plan. That's what we're talking about Wednesday night. We're talking about the plan that we need to build trust in God. Page 61 of the book, Too Much, the author Gary Johnson writes this. He says, we default too quickly to a can't, won't, and don't mentality. Saying, I can't possibly help because I don't have something with which to help, so I just won't help. I won't help them anymore. I don't help people like that. Sound familiar? The disciples protested that they didn't have food, nor money to get food for the multitude of hungry people. No problem. Jesus did. When we protest to God that we don't have the time, talent, and treasure to help others, He says, no problem. All you have is some kid's lunch? No problem. story goes on, verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Can you imagine the disciples' reaction? You've got to be kidding. You want them to all sit down? Okay, whatever, we'll, we'll sit them down. And you realize it's not until then, it's not until that moment of obedience where they did what Jesus told them to do. They all sat down. It's not until then that the miracle occurs. It's not until they followed His plan. It's not until they obeyed Him that we read on in verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. I think that's what we have to see in our story and in our lives as we try to live out the principle of trust. Jesus meets us with His presence at the point of our trust in Him. And the rest of the story, the result of the story, will be the, rest of, uh, will be the result in our lives also. The result of the story is the people were satisfied. Again, verse 11. <coughs> Jesus then took the loaves, And when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, He told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. All four Gospels make this point. John says, they ate their fill. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say, they ate and were satisfied. (laughs) 
Do you hear that? The word satisfied there means they couldn't eat another bite. They had no room left for anything. They, they couldn't eat another bite. It's a word that was used in that culture about cattle. You would bring the cattle to the feeding troughs and you would feed them and feed them and feed them until they couldn't eat another bite and then finally they, they waddle off away. That's, you guys do that sometimes. I do that sometimes, you know. You go to the buffet and you just, you know, you can't. Is there room for Jello? There's always room for. There's no room for Jello today. You want ice cream and Jello? No. There's no more room for ice cream and Jello. Little after dinner mint? Nope. Can't eat it. I'm satisfied. I'm completely stuffed. The people were satisfied. Their needs were completely, totally, 100% fulfilled by Jesus. But I want you to see that not just from their perspective, not just from the perspective of full bellies and, and time for a nap, but I want you to see it from the perspective of the disciples. The disciples who have been busy taking baskets of food to these people. Where did the disciples get the food? They got it from Jesus. They need food. They go to Jesus with their basket. Jesus fills the basket. They take the basket back out. They give the food to the people. They need more food. They go to, the, they go to Jesus. They get their basket filled. They take it back. It's not, it's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's about Jesus. That's the lesson for us. That's the lesson for our neighbors. That's the lesson for our community. What we need for them, we get from Him. The love, the support, the care, the stuff that we call ministry, the stuff that we call blessings, it all comes from Him. It's not about us. It's not about how much we can do or how much we can't do. It's about Jesus. What He can supply are we going to do it ourselves? <laughs> Are we going to go to Him? Are we going to let Him take care of them? And that's something you really can't miss in this story. <coughs> the people were struggling. The people were starving. And then the people were satisfied. But what about the disciples? And what you see at the very end of the story is the disciples had a surplus. I can't preach this story without pointing something out. And I hope you noticed it. I mean, I think there's probably a law among preachers where you have to mention this. You have to say this or you get in trouble. Um, you, you have to mention it. You may have noticed. Verse 10 says, So the men sat down. The men sat down about 5,000 in number. So are we supposed to believe that it's just men? That that's all there is? Well, no. And I'm sorry, ladies. But women... Uh, Women didn't count back then, and neither did kids. You didn't count women, you didn't count children, you just counted men. And you'll, you'll see that over and over again through the Gospels and even through the book of Acts. Uh, they just counted the men. So how many women were there? Well, there's 5,000 men. There might be 5,000 women. I think there might be more because Jesus had a huge following among the, the, the women there. How many children? Well, maybe another 5,000 kids. I mean, if every family has one kid, maybe another 5,000. There could have been as many as 15,000, if not more, people here in this, in this story being fed by Jesus. Ultimately, though, I don't think the miracle is really for those people. I don't think it's about the people that were being fed. Look at verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> John writes, And when they had eaten their fill... He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves. Now this is an easy question. Why were there 12 baskets? 
How many disciples were there? Go ahead. Well, see, the people on the internet, people listening on the internet, they can't hear you if you don't answer. It sounds like I'm talking to myself. But yeah, 12, you know? There were 12 disciples, and there are 12 baskets left over. So in the end, is this miracle really about feeding 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people? Or is this miracle about teaching 12 hard-headed guys that they better learn to trust Jesus? Is, is that what this miracle might be about? Is it about teaching... 12 hard-headed guys who can't see past the bridge of their nose that maybe they ought to open their eyes and learn to trust Jesus if they're going to take care of people. Uh, by the way, we're disciples also, aren't we? If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Maybe there's a lesson here for us also. You and I need to pay attention to what we learn about Jesus here, about what we learn about trust. Jesus meets us with His presence at the point of our trust in Him. He meets us with His presence at our point of trust in Him. What they needed for them, they got from Him. So what's the lesson for us? What we need for them, we get from Him. Who is our them? Our them is probably our family. Our them is our friends, our church. Our them is our community. Our them is the needy in this world and the the ones that we care for, the missions that we support, the things that we do as a church that has global impact, have global impact. What we need for them, we get from Him. Peace, provision, love, care, compassionate hearts that satisfy their needs. What we need for them, we get from Him. you've been with us through this series, one thing that we keep talking about is something we call skin in the game. You've probably seen that in the book if you've been reading the book. It's skin in the game. Because, you know, these principles, the principles we're talking about on Sunday morning, they, they don't do anything unless you put them into practice. We need to commit to doing something, to, 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 to doing something real, to, to make these principles work in our lives. And if we do, we take the principles and to them we add the practices. And what's the result? Principles plus practices? Real profit. And what is real profit? Is that us turning a profit as a church? No. <laughs> Am I a real profit? No. Anyway. Real profit is you get to sleep at night because you're not worried about money. Real profit is you have a marriage where you don't argue about money and what you're going to spend, what you're not going to spend it on. Real profit is you get some peace of mind and <clears throat> you just get a a more peaceful life free from the worry of m about money because you put your trust in the only one who can satisfy you. So we're ending this sermon with a challenge. And my elders, our elders, our wonderful elders, and Steve, are, uh, are going to pass something out to you now. Let's see if we're moving. There you go. <laughs> Every family's going to get one of these. One of these cards. Now, You'll notice it's perforated. There's a big side and there's a little side. The big side is for you. That's for you to keep. That is your commitment. On the front, we have a wonderful Scripture from Malachi 3. Uh, and on the back, it is my commitment to God. Father, to imitate your generosity, I will. And then the point is to please check one. I'm going to start giving X each week. I'm going to, start get, I'm going to increase my weekly giving by blank. I'm going to start tithing 10%. I'm going to continue tithing. I'm going to give generously beyond the tithe and there's a place for you to sign it. Again, 
that part is for you. Here's what I don't want. I don't want your name. I don't want to know how much you're giving. Don't tell me how much you're giving. I don't want to know how much you give, and I don't want to know your name. That part is for you, for your commitment there. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these home. I want you to pray about them this week. Um, what is your skin in the game when it comes to this church, when it comes to what we're doing here? Now, I want you to bring them back next week. Don't forget to bring them back. Don't make me print up more of these, okay? I'll print up a few, but please try to hold on to them. Please try to remember. And, and we want the little side. Just throw that in the offering plate. Pray about it this week. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about what your skin in the game is for this and, and what you want to commit to. Give us the little half. That's just to let us know that you're here. That's just to let us know that you're with us. The big half, you can use that as a bookmark or it's about the same size as a check, as I recall. I haven't looked at checks for a while. My checks anyway. Uh, put that in your checkbook. And when you write out your bills, just remind yourself, part of, my, part, of my give, part of what my responsibility with my money is to give to my church. Part of my responsibility to that, with my money is what I've committed to. Keep that part just for yourself. Um, the little half is for us, just to let us know. Just get in the game and drop that in the offering plate. It's about trust. It's about building trust in Jesus to provide what you need, to meet you at that point where you're struggling, where you're starving, and to let Him satisfy you. And watch what He does when you trust Him. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, when it comes to trust, when it comes to trust, we've, we've talked a good game. I mean, in God we trust is on our money. But we'd have to admit it hasn't always been in our hearts. We come to You admitting our struggles. And also admitting that we starve without You. So Lord, let us lay everything else aside and put our trust in You and allow You to be our source of satisfaction. So today, we pledge to trust You. It's not just about money. Not just with our finances and our giving. But with everything we have and all that we are. There are people in our lives and in our world who need us. We can't help them without You. And so we place our trust in You for what they need and the surplus that Your grace gives. And Father, while we're all gathered here and while we're all praying, I just want to go ahead and pray for our lunch together. Father, I thank You that we get an opportunity to, to share a meal and as we gather in the other room, it's not just about the food that we're going to eat, but thank You so much for the wonderful people who have provided the food for us to share. And It's about the time that we get to share. Lord, it's about building relationships. It's about getting to know each other a little bit better. It's about sitting around and talking to someone, shaking a hand, and, and just reminding them that we're, we're all in this together. We love You, Father. We thank You for the amazing way that You love us and You bring us together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.